Hey, welcome to the Obio podcast. This is Ophia Sanchez, a bio developer in the making. Today, I had a very good conversation with Irfan Tahir. He is a New Harvest Fellow, PhD candidate at the University of Vermont, where he is researching plant-based scaffolds for lab-grown meat. And interestingly for me, he holds a master's degree from the University of Minnesota in mechanical engineering. So indeed, we dive into cellular agriculture as a field, what his research is, but also on things like applied versus fundamental science, how science is funded, you know, this whole thing everybody talks about on Twitter, um, and other things like how he saw and applied engineering mindsets and principles into biology when he was early in his career. Just before getting started, don't forget that you can find me on Twitter at Sophia's Bio to stay updated with the latest content I create on bioengineering, such as this podcast or my Substack publication, my Medium blog, and more. So without further ado, let's get started. Well, uh, welcome to the Obio podcast here, Fanta here. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> sure. Well, I guess that we could start just with like a general question about one of the things you like to do, which is running. Like I read your post on how you ran 28 miles for your 28th birthday. Did you always like running or tell me more about this interest? Yeah, so I always liked sports, so not specifically running, but then when I was in high school, I did like a one-year foreign exchange program in the U.S., and you know, the U.S. has a lot of different sports that students can participate in, and a coach sort of saw that I love sports and I love running, so he put me in the varsity track and field tra uh, uh, team, and there I ran uh, as a sprinter, so I didn't run long distances in high school. And then after that, I kind of stopped running, but at the end of college, I kind of rediscovered running and I found like, you know, a lot of joy in running. And since then I've been doing longer and longer distances. And this was the year where I kind of finally decided that, okay, I've uh, been running for a couple of years now. So now it's time to do a full marathon. Um, yeah. So on my 28th birthday, which was on March 28th, I kind of thought it would be appropriate to run 28 miles. So I did that. Uh, that was on March 28th. And then a couple months later, I participated in my first sort of like official marathon, which was the Burlington City Marathon. And that was just like a normal marathon distance, 26.2 miles. Um, and that was a lot of fun as well. I, uh, you know, really enjoyed the day. Usually like running a marathon is like very painful and a lot of people, they get injuries and such, yeah. but um, my experience was that I actually uh, enjoyed it. Maybe because of the atmosphere, like everyone was super supportive and also it was like the perfect weather for a marathon. I think it was like 75 degrees and sunny. So honestly, like I think anyone who is thinking about running, I highly recommend it. It's a great way to sort of push yourself to the limits and also find out more about what are the things that you like, what are the things that you can do. And one of the reasons that I love running uh, is that when I run, I uh, I have a running watch with a GPS on it, so I don't take my phone with me. 
so it's a really good way to kind of like disconnect from the internet from the world from notifications from screens and that's probably the reason why i really look forward to running almost like every day where i'm like okay i'm 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 tired of emails i'm tired mm-hmm. of social media i'm tired of you know working how about i just take a physical and mental break from all of that yeah. so that's like another sort of like technique that i would suggest people use if they want to take more breaks cool now like moving into cell ag um i also read your blog blog post on why you got into cell ag and kind of your journey in you know different countries um you're from pakistan right and then you moved uh, to yes. turkey for college uh and there if i'm not wrong you there was this time you had to choose between like mechanical engineering and biology which wasn't mm-hmm. an engineering like um field in that time where people didn't think about it that way so i'm curious to know if you could like expand a little bit more on the things the engineering stuff that you saw in biology that not everyone saw definitely so i do, so I, i do research in tissue engineering and i do a lot of cell bio stuff but my background is not in biology for for example i didn't really study biology in high school i didn't really study biology in my college i just took a couple courses and so i took a very traditional like engineer's path where i went into bachelor's uh, thinking that i'm going to do mechanical engineering which is what i did and my focus was on robotics and control systems i even worked as a controls engineer uh, at a company in turkey and then i also when i was applying for jobs i was mainly looking for like engineering jobs but then when i learned about biology the things that i could really connect with was that the human body is basically like a machine mm-hmm. and a lot of the same formulas a lot of the same rules that we apply to objects outside the body like the mechanics of objects the dynamics of objects the physics of what goes on the stresses strains they also apply to the human body because if you think about it cells themselves are materials the extracellular matrix it's a material uh the human skin is a material with viscoelastic properties the uh, you know so, so so for example like the computer modeling or the formulas that we use in other viscoelastic materials can also be applied to skin or can also be applied to uh, uh, parts of the human body so there sort of like my interest grew where i was like wow there is this whole world perhaps on a different dimension than what i'm used to because cells are much smaller and the things inside the body are much smaller but the fundamental concepts are pretty much the same uh and in the human body we mostly work at the micro level but of course now we also work at the nano level but for most of it the rules kind of stay the same so for example if you're applying a uh, formula for stress outside the body then the same formula would like would apply to something like inside the body mm-hmm. another thing that i noticed because i took a lot of courses in uh, fluid flow and thermo is that um uh, biothermodynamics that's a whole field of its own so there's a lot of fluid that's going on in the body the cells uh, for example the epithelial cells in your veins they are exposed to fluid flow So those are the kind of things that I was able to connect from my engineering uh training to worse like biology and as I was finishing college I kind of decided that okay I want to do something in biology at that time I wasn't sure like exactly what I want to do but then um 
I got a full scholarship to go study uh, University of Minnesota to do a master's and my PI over there was doing a lot of research in biomaterials. So biomaterials is sort of like where I shifted. And then from biomaterials, I uh, am now, I have now shifted to tissue engineering, but those two fields are like very close to each other. A lot of concepts that we learn in biomaterials are also applicable in tissue engineering and vice versa. Um, so yeah, that's uh, kind of the things that I saw. And now your research is focusing more on uh, this, like, actually challenge, right, of creating scaffolds for lab-grown mm-hmm. meat. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about how you specifically found that interesting and how you're now matching it with, some, well, Salag? 100%. So it was kind of a lucky thing that happened. So my master's research was in uh, biopolymers. Specifically, there's a biopolymer called lignin that's found in plants. It gives structure to plants. It's uh, quite abundant. Uh, So we were trying to see like, how can we use lignin uh, to create consumer products so that people don't use plastics for consumer products. Mm -hmm. And then when I was searching for uh, PhD labs, I stumbled upon the lab that I work in right now, it's called the Engineered Biomaterials Research Lab at the University of Vermont. And I saw that they also used a biopolymer, a different one called alginate. Mm -hmm. And they have been working with alginate for about, I think like 10, 15 years now where they are done various things with alginate. We like our lab is sort of like an expert in alginate in the sense that we can process it in different ways. We can uh, cross link it in different ways. We can have many, different applications of alginate in the medical sciences world. And then I wanted to do something in cultured meat. And after I did a little bit of research, I found out that alginate has been used as scaffolds in tissue engineering before, just not so much in cultured meat. And that's because as good as alginate is, as many as many beneficial properties that it has, it does have some limitations. Uh, for example, it does not have any cell adhesion motives, so you need to functionalize it to uh, have cell adhesion motives uh, on it uh, artificially, for example. Um, so I approached my advisor and I was like, look, you have a lot of experience in alginate mm-hmm. and I want to do cultured meat, which, is, which was something that she did not know a lot about but she was welcoming and she said that, okay, if you can sort of like bring a project towards me, if you can write a proposal, let's say in like a few weeks where you think that we can use alginate as scaffolds for culture meat, then we'll go forward with this. And that's exactly what I did. So as soon as I joined the lab, I started working on a proposal. And within, I think three months, uh, we submitted the proposal to the graduate college of my university and the proposal was funded. They gave us some money to buy supplies and such. And then I just got started on culture meat. And then I used that proposal to do some preliminary research for a new harvest fellowship. And I applied for the new harvest fellowship, which is a long-term fellowship, which is now funding my PhD. Um, And thankfully that was also accepted. And of course, like once the new harvest fellowship fellowship was accepted, I was like a hundred percent sure that this is like what I want to do, like uh, for the rest of my PhD. Congrats. Um, So just, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's it's been incredible uh, being a part of New Harvest, and I'm happy to talk more about that. Um, and briefly, what we're trying to do is that we're trying to eliminate uh, animal components from uh, the cell scaffolding uh, process. So right now, the scaffolds that are used in culture meat, they use some animal products such as gelatin, such as collagen, because they uh, work really well. Mm-hmm. because cells respond favorably to them, cells stick to them, things like that. 
Um, but in my opinion, using animal products to use scaffolds for cultured meat is kind of counterintuitive because we want to eliminate as many animal components as we can. So we want to eliminate FPS. We want to eliminate any like some kind of you know like gelatin or collagen or even chitosan. So mm. our sort of goal is that can we take a sustainable plant-based material that's abundant and use that as a scaffold uh, for cultured meat rather than using animal components. So briefly, like that's what we're trying to do. I guess that I have lots of follow-up questions based mm -hmm. on that. Um, sure. So the first one is, you, you mentioned working or having like exposed yourself yourself to lignin before, but that you, mm -hmm. this lab was trying to use it uh, to replace plastics in some way or create an alternative. Why do you think mm -hmm. there are, well, from what I've seen just very broadly, there are many like people looking into, well, how do we create an alternative for, for plastic? But there doesn't seem to be one that, you know, the one or the one that is actually in the marketplace and like actually mm -hmm. moving the needle. Uh, do you have any thoughts on why this is, uh, I suppose, price might play a role? Oh, there's, yeah, there's so many reasons. I mean, something that people now just forget because, you know, everyone is super anti-plastic and we are all hyper aware of the negative effects of plastics is that plastic is like a miracle material. It's uh, extremely cheap when mm. made on scale, like extremely cheap, extremely easy to process with uh, amazing tolerances. So for example, you can have parts of many different shapes and sizes and you will get exactly what you want, want to produce. And it has amazing properties. So for example, it's, uh, you know, it, it's waterproof. So for example, plastic bottles, right? Like the water doesn't like seep through. Whereas like mm -hmm. if you use a cardboard bottle or something like that, like eventually the water is going to go through. Um, and it has uh, a lot of like something that is like a huge negative, but before people used to look at it as a huge positive was that it has uh, a, a long shelf life. So for example, like if you made something with plastic, it's not just going to degrade on its own. So I feel like because it's such, it's it's a material that has given us so much in terms of like, you know, now it's everywhere. I mean, I mean, I can't, I, I cannot like look in any direction and not see something that's not made out of plastic. Uh, it would take some time to come up with something that's like just as good or like better than plastic. And I'm, I'm super happy that people are starting to realize that, you know, plastic is not a sustainable material. It does not degrade it. It's bad for our oceans, bad for like everything. Um, I mean, you hear just going through social media or like the regular news, you, you see like these crazy facts, like for example, uh, the fact that an average person eats a credit card worth, worth of plastic yeah, uh, every week, Some, something like that, right? Like through, because mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of microplastic in the ocean that fish eat the plastic. Uh, or I know of, uh, a lot of pet owners who uh, don't feed their cats fish just because they don't want their cats to eat plastic. So I'm happy that people are, you know, getting more aware of this and we're like working on alternatives to uh, this. But the fact that we have not been able to do it yet might just have to do with time. Like, you know, we haven't really started like anti-plastic or plastic alternative research like that far ago, like maybe like 30 or 30, 40 years ago, plastic was just like a normal thing. So I think we just need to give it some time and eventually we'll find something. Do you think there are any from very truly promising alternatives that you're aware of? Um, to plastic, honestly, 
no like nothing like just that comes to like my head mm-hmm. i know of like many techniques that people are using i know that now they've been able to uh, genetically engineer bacteria to recycle like basically recycle plastic or like you know digest plastic there's some worms that can do that or some of the plastic alternatives that are made out of different materials that can be industrial uh, in, that can be composted using an industrial facility like PLA for example they're becoming more and more uh, popular yeah. so i think uh, soon you know we'll start like diverting diverting away from like plastics because it's not a sustainable source uh you know they come from fossil fuels and we only have a limited amount of fossil fuels so eventually we'll have to like divert away from them why is plastic so good and so bad at the same time uh mm-hmm. all right then uh with this other material um is it al- alginate yes okay so i i just find it very interesting like the fact that even with cultured meat like there are certain components right fbs the scaffolds that could be derived from animals as well even though that like the whole purpose of lab grown meat is actually moving away from that or one of the purposes but anyways um one, one question i have there is actually about these other materials um you mentioned collagen right which it's also being produced recombinantly by gelatin yeah. for example i wonder if those are or could be feasible alternatives not to use animals in the process Yeah, definitely. I think so. Um I mean the idea here is not to like just like find one solution to the problem, right? The idea is to find many solutions and then kind of uh uh sort of like attack the beast with uh like many arrows instead of just like one big one. So what Jeltor is doing or like other I don't know like which companies are involved exactly, but it's it's, it's amazing that they're looking into uh producing animal components recombinantly. And in fact like in the field if you ask someone who work in the scaffolding and you ask them so what about the fact that you're using animal components right they're quite relaxed about it and they're like well we're not worried about it because eventually we can produce these animal components using recombinant technology mm-hmm. but on the flip side of that if we already have a plant based material that that has a supply chain that's abundantly grown that grows really fast so it's like sustainable and it keeps on growing why not also parallel to recombinant technologies like test that so why not test alginate why not test agros or like any other kinds of or, or for example like a lot of people are now uh doing decellularized uh, plants so for example spinach or grass um i'm aware of a few projects that new harvest has funded in this area why not also look at that so we really need kind of like a, a parallel approach to things rather than just like doing everyone just focusing on the same thing and the reason for that is that the field is extremely new mm-hmm. um the field i would say is less than 10 years old i mean it was 2013 when we saw like the prototype of the first burger right um so for such a new field i feel like we need to test many different approaches and then definitely definitely there will be some which would be better than others and there will be some which would just be a total failure but that's kind of like what fundamental science is about you don't go into science with a sort of like the result in your head you just want to test things out and then see like what works and what doesn't work um so i think the the fact that they're doing you know like producing recombinant uh, collagen i think that's awesome and then you know i hope that there's other companies who are doing that as well sure 
like I don't know if that's like their main goal, you know, to actually use that for scaffolding, but potentially someone could like okay. yeah, be working on that, right? Um also you mentioned actually being focused on the outcome and I guess where I want to get is to what do you think your career looks like in the future, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think that you would want to take this to a lab grown meat company that already exists or start your own company and then sell it to someone um how do you think that yeah you would find a way for this to get into the market eventually um i mean this is one of the you can say differences between someone who works for a company and someone who works for a university which is a non-profit yeah so my goal here is not to make money my goal here is not to create a product that will eventually like you know, the consumers and make money. My goal is to do fundamental science and find out more about basically like what happens at the micro level. What are the mechanics of the cells interacting with the scaffold? So you can see like my sort of like, you know, like the next like three or four year, year, like the goal for the next three or four years is to find out how can I leverage my sort of understanding and my training in mechanical engineering towards the biological side. Because the thing about cells is that they are smarter than we think. So, for example, uh, it, this is like a well-known fact that um, if you take some stem cells and you put them on like a soft material, then the stem cells know that they're on a soft material and they'll differentiate into fat cells. Or if you put them even on a softer material, they'll differentiate into brain cells. Or if you put them on a stiff material, then they'll differentiate into muscle or bone cells. Sorry, could you elaborate more into like how that works? That sounds interesting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so that has to do with uh, sort of these cell adhesion motifs where the cells have sensory pathways which uh, sense the stiffness of the extracellular matrix. And because of that, they kind of get these you know, uh, signals to differentiate into different kinds of cells. Mm -hmm. So for example, there has been studies done on mesenchymal stem cells where on the same substrate, they were able to prove that just because the stiffnesses were different, the same exact cell, keeping everything the same, but changing the stiffness, only the stiffness, they were able to get fat in some areas and they were able to get bone in some areas. Wow. So this is not, not something new. This has been done, <laughs> I don't know, 2003 is like when the first paper came out of uh, University of Pennsylvania. Uh -huh. So I want to leverage all of this sort of like uh, education and training that I have in mechanical engineering to find a new way to, let's say, differentiate cells or find a cheaper alternative to do it, right? So I would say like right now that like my... Um, my motivation is more towards like fundamental science mm -hmm. rather than trying to please some investors rather than mm -hmm. trying to, uh, you know, get a product and on the market, like by the end of the year or by the end of next year. So, so because first and foremost, like I look at myself as a scientist rather than a founder or a business person or any, anything else. Um, and as a scientist, I feel like like my job is to like like first do like fundamental science. But of course, one thing to realize is that 
one of the goals of a PhD is to learn different skills, right? Learn different techniques. So by doing this science, by doing, you know, cell culture, by doing uh, culture meat research, I'm learning a lot of different techniques. And those techniques are applicable in many different industries, not just in culture meat. You know, uh, cell culture, bioreactors, uh, cell staining, growing of the cells, either applicable in pharmacy, like, you know, the biopharma industry, or they're applicable in the uh, uh, synthetic bio industry as well. So honestly, like I am not, I don't think like if you ask me, for example, like right now and my, I still have like a couple years left in my PhD. And if someone asks me, so what are you going to do after the PhD? I have no idea, but I'm quite relaxed about it just because I know that there are many options for me, like at the end of the PhD, just because of the skills that I have, just because I guess I'm lucky in the way that uh, there's a huge boom in biotechnology yeah. right now. Like everyone is super interested in biotechnology, whereas like 10 years ago, like it wasn't this, uh, you know, this popular. Um, so I guess I'm, it's, it's a little bit of luck, a little bit of hard work. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, something good will happen. Maybe I'll get a job in an industry. Maybe I'll find my own startup. Maybe in my lab, I will discover something that is completely new and, you know, would be worthy of a company. But I think right now, my full focus is on trying to test the hypotheses that I've uh, laid out in front of me and then trying to see if they work or not. I actually have, yeah, I, I want to ask you actually about that because, well, maybe the question should have been different uh, on my end, like, mm -hmm. yeah, if you were more interested in applied science or fundamental science right now. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I was reading this book called Why Greatness Cannot Be Planned. And uh, the guy who wrote it, he was doing research in artificial intelligence, and he uh, basically talks about how the incentives for doing research sometimes are misaligned, you know, research which can bring more money in some way is more easily funded than yeah, research that yeah, can actually, you know, discover something new and uh, could potentially be good for humanity. So in that sense, kind of, he says how kind of curiosity is somehow... Um, suppressed, I I would say. So I I wonder what your thoughts on on this are, like this whole thing people talk about about funding and academia and how it's broken. Oh, it's definitely broken. Yes, <laughs> and this is where I would like to give a shout out to New Harvest because what New Harvest does is that they after they choose you for their fellowship program, um, they so they agree to fund your PhD, right? So they give you a stipend, they give you money for supplies, they'll give you, they'll pay for your tuition, your health insurance, all of that. What that does is that that gives the fellow freedom to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. So for example, if let's say I did not have the New Harvest Fellowship, then it's very likely that I would have done cultured meat, like maybe for a few months, but then my advisor would have been like, look, this whole cultured meat stuff, it's cool, but guess what? We don't have money for this. We have money for the cancer project that we're doing. We have money for the lung sealant project that we're doing. So you have to kind of like shift your focus more towards that. Whereas because I have the New Harvest Fellowship, because I have my own funding, I have a lot of freedom to do like exactly like what I want to do. And that is the case like always in academia where uh, there are some topics that are overfunded and then some topics which are underfunded. And you can't just sort of like follow your curiosity um, you know, the way that you want to, because uh, science is very expensive, like supplies are expensive, um, you need lab space, you need equipment, everything is like super duper expensive. So you need to be very calculated in the way that you spend money 
even if you you know have a lot of money and of course if there is a funding agency then the funding agency uh you you're accountable to the funding agency they don't just give you money and then forget about it right like you need to tell them what you've done with the money that they've given you and right. it's the same with investors if the investors are giving you money then you need to like tell them uh what you've done but in because new harvest is a special kind of organization in the sense that there are a donor funded organization and they're a non-profit so they don't put like that kind of pressure on us and they kind of like let the fellows decide like how they want to conduct their research and i think that's the most beautiful thing ever because that's where like you know like real uh innovation happens that's where like surprises happen that's where uh, a lot of good things come out of it um so yeah definitely once people say that academia is broken i haven't been in academia for that long to like sort of like uh, validate that claim i've only been in academia for like 4 or 5 years um but i can definitely sense some things uh, uh that might uh, sort of uh, validate that claim definitely huge shout out to new harvest i've also been kind of involved with them with my labgrown cotton project actually and seeing how they're funding so many salag researchers to make progress in the field it's great lastly then uh is there any advice that you would give to someone who wants to get into the salag space yeah it's uh i mean there's lots of things that you can do i think one of the things i would say is like um be don't be afraid of difficult things so don't be afraid of difficult science courses if you you're a high school student if you're a college student go for like the difficult things and the reason for that is that the problems that we're trying to solve in cell egg they're completely new there's no template for a lot of the things that we have to do and these are like really 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 difficult problems uh one of the things that you might have noticed is that there's a lot of companies who said that oh we'll have a product by the end of this year we'll have a product by like you know this year and they haven't been able to do that and, and, and at the end of the day it's it's not entirely their fault because the science is uh really demanding and it's really difficult it's time consuming and it's intellectually challenging so it's not just like monotonous in the sense that you're doing the same thing again and again and again there is a little bit of that but at the end of the day the analysis of the data the way that you're doing it how do you combine the information that's out there to achieve the goal that you want to do so in simple words my advice would be to uh take as many difficult science courses as you can and honestly because cell egg is just like there's it's 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 huge now in the sense that no matter what your expertise is uh even if it's non stem there is a place for you because pretty soon we're going to start going into uh the regulatory side of things you know like when FDA and USDA they start paying attention to cell egg we will need people who are uh, well versed in that we would make policy makers we would need people from humanities and the questions of ethics that culture need things like that and on the stem side i would say just uh you know like follow whatever you feel you feel is like the right thing to do but study like hard for the hard courses and keep your fundamentals strong so keep your physics biology chemistry is chemistry is one thing that people neglect the most i think but everything starts from chemistry the base materials starts from chemistry so like keep all of your fundamentals strong and then you'll find like a place in cell like for sure um and if you're a college level student then definitely definitely uh, try to do like an internship in a research lab because that really helps 
Super cool. Well, thank you so much for all this knowledge, Irfan. Really, um, best of luck in your career, in your journey, satellite journey. Yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Before you leave, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If there was anything you found interesting, please let me know. Say hi on Twitter at Sophia's Bio. And if there's anyone you think would be a good fit for this podcast, even yourself as a guest, as a sponsor, let me know. And I'll see you in the next episode. It's time to grow.